From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Great to be with you as always. A few programming notes before we get started. There is no YouTube live stream tonight. Albert and Ryan are off, but the live YouTube stream will return next week as per usual. I also want to formally announce the launch of my brand new podcast. Very excited about this. Conspiracy Unlimited. Three new episodes drop every week, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Three new episodes every week. You can subscribe at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com, conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com, or just go to iTunes, Stitcher Radio. Again, Conspiracy Unlimited, three new episodes every week. Uh, so much going on in the world that I just can't cover everything on a weekly terrestrial radio show, and thus uh, the rationale for the, uh, the new podcast. Very excited about it. Hope you enjoy it, and you'll let me know what you think. Rosemary Ellen Guiley will be with me in the second hour to discuss the angelic hierarchy. You know, during Christmas and Hanukkah, uh, I always love talking about uh, angels, so we'll do that second hour. First up, U.S. President Donald Trump has been described by many as a populist. Uh, Bernie Sanders certainly was a populist. Uh, but Louisiana Governor Huey P. Long, uh, who served in the great state of Louisiana from 1928 to 1932, uh, called himself the Kingfish, was a firebrand populist who rivaled and possibly surpra- surpassed uh, FDR in popularity. Uh, one month after announcing his candidacy for the president, uh, he was assassinated in the Louisiana State Capitol building, incredibly popular with the people because of his Share the Wealth campaign, but he was despised by the elites and his political enemies. Don Jeffries dedicates an entire chapter to this remarkable historical figure, Huey P. Long, in his new book, Survival of the Richest, Previously, Don authored Hidden History with a foreword by Roger Stone. Don Jeffries, how are you? Fine, thanks, Richard. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Survival of the Richest, How the Corruption of the Marketplace and the Disparity of the Wealth Created the Greatest Conspiracy of All. A lot of people, maybe when they see this uh, title, they might say, oh, this is uh, this is right down Bernie Sanders' alley, but uh, not so. Uh, explain. Yeah, I, I differ from most, and I think that's why uh, a lot of leftists are, aren't drawn to this book because they are—they just kind of instinctively go for the FDR, uh, LBJ type of uh, great society programs that create huge bureaucracies, and as we've seen over the decades, do little to eradicate poverty. LBJ's war on poverty was lost as surely as Reagan's war on drugs was. So, um, I, you know, I'm a Huey Long fan. So, you know, I go with the share of the wealth thing. I want to, ta- I want to go after the the root. The root, but the problem is that too much wealth, the great, the majority of the wealth is concentrated in an incredibly small number of hands. And if you're ever going to have any kind of fair society, you have to free things up, uh, as it was for most of our time. The greatest time in the Economically, in America's history, was basically uh, when we, when uh, we had the greatest distribution, the fairest distribution of wealth, which would have been like from the 1940s through maybe the early 1970s. 
So uh, we need to go back to something like that. You cannot have a, a situation we have now. Recently, the most alarming statistic that came out is that 50% of Americans, half the country, <clears throat> are making less than $27,000 a year. And I, I don't know. I mean, that's nothing in today's. That's barely <clears throat> 27000 You might be able to get a one-bedroom apartment <clears throat> in some areas of the country. So that you cannot have that kind of uh, distribution of wealth and have a first-world economy. It's just not possible. But the answer is not to create another program or another government program that, that clearly these things don't work. You have to go out to the root cause, and I think Huey Long uh, gave us a blueprint for that. The Kingfish. So let's talk about uh, Huey Long, this populist uh, governor of Louisiana uh, and um, a member of the United States Senate. He was really only on the political scene uh, a short while, uh, governor for four years and senator for, I think, less than three. Uh, so let's talk about Huey P. Long. Where did he come from? Well, he, he was he was obviously a Louisiana native, and he he really was like a lightning bolt. I mean, he he became a renowned at a very young age, and just was a brilliant guy. And uh, he, as you said, his political career was relatively short, but he was only forty-two, I believe, when he was assassinated. So who knows what would have laid ahead for him? I mean, he could have you know we have decades, and his ideas were just incredible. I mean, Huey Long was uh, <clears throat> basically talking about uh, Huey Long's pressure caused the only good things to come out of the FDR administration, which was uh, the National Labor Relations Act of 1938, which gave us the 40-hour work week and overtime and uh, pensions, vacation, pensions began to be created, uh, that kind of thing, where workers didn't enjoy that before. But Huey Long had been advocating a 30, maybe 20-hour work week and uh, four weeks off for every uh, every uh, American worker and things like that. <clears throat> so uh, his his pressure created that kind of stuff and uh if you look at what he did in, during his time in louisiana again as, as opposed to like a bureaucratic program you see the tangible results i mean huey long invented the concept of uh, adult education his his infrastructure program in louisiana it's basically something that we, we were hoping maybe donald trump would emulate when he talked about building the infrastructure of the united states because we desperately need one but he built so many he built the state up from the marshland i mean he his charity hospitals his, uh, that he built all across Louisiana it resulted in the death rate uh, in Louisiana dropping by 30%. Until he came along, mental patients, people with mental problems, were just thrown in jail. He belonged to institutions for them. He did, you know, he did things like that that they're just for, you know, that, that we don't even think of today. And uh, you know, at the time he was, we see something now where. Uh, and Europe and other places are talking about coming up with a universal uh, minimum type of income, which is seems like a crazy idea, but I think people are recognizing that because of the distribution of wealth around the world, it may be the only answer unless you're going to throw people on the streets. And Huey Long, was uh, during his uh, Share the Wealth program, one of his proposals was that uh, somewhat the people be given a yearly stipend if their income was less than one-third the national average. So he was... He was ahead of his time on so many things, but unlike what we would see today and what, what you would think of him, as opposed to any kind of a communist or socialist thing, Huey Long's tax plan was going to exempt the first million dollars, which would be $12 million in today's dollars, from taxes. So, I mean, no conservative Republican would even come up with that, where, you know, people making a million dollars or less pay no income taxes. That was so Huey Long's So instead of having five tax brackets, he had... He had two, zero and whatever above a million Well, was. no, he still had tax breaks. Basically, his plan was the first million went tax-free. 
and then I believe it went up 5% or something for every million after that up until, um, in today's dollars, it would be $60 million. After $60 million, 100%. So, I mean, today, do people really, I mean, would everyone be okay with a $60 million fortune? So there's, there's still room to grow, but... I think those, that's only necessary because of the way, you know, it's just human greed. It's just the, the way things work, and we see it today where the people with money just want more no matter what, and what happens is none of that trickling down ever happens. So you have the, the crazy uh, <clears throat> situation we have today where, as I said, tw- half the people are making $27,000 less that are working. Of course, we know all the people that are out of work, despite the, uh, the, the fake unemployment statistics, which only count the people that are getting benefits, and Trump himself rightly pointed out how phony those statistics were under Obama, but now that he's the president and they're lowered somehow, these are great statistics, and uh, they, they haven't changed the way they calculate it. So it, it's still phony, and the problem is still there. And you also have that same hat for the country, the 50%, <clears throat> the bottom half, has less than 1% of the collective wealth. You just you just can't have a situation like that, because how you've got half of the people that aren't able to buy your products and uh, you know, go to the shop and go to enter- entertainment things. I don't understand how you can anyone can think we can have a first world country like that. But the people that are at the top are just you know <clears throat> walking around clueless because they're doing fine and that's all that counts in their world. Don Jeffrey here on the Conspiracy Show. His book, Survival of the Richest: How the Corruption of the Marketplace and the Disparity of Wealth Created the Greatest Conspiracy of All, uh, published by Skyhorse. Uh, let's go back to Huey Long's uh, rise to power. He started out as a lawyer. Um, tell me about his early career. Well, he spent, as he said, he never took a case against a poor man. And unlike, say, an Abraham Lincoln, who has this, you know, reputation of, of honesty, Abraham Lincoln was actually more of a corporate lawyer. He usually sided with the kinds of companies and, and, and powers that uh, Huey Long invariably went against. He went against Standard Oil. He, uh, you know, he ended up arguing a Supreme Court case at a very young age, and uh, what I think was William Howard Taft said he was the most brilliant man who ever argued a case before the Supreme Court. Huey Long, from the very beginning, was was focusing on banks, the power of banks, and the bigger the banks, the better. He was focusing on Standard Oil, which was a huge uh, concern in his state of Louisiana. He never, unlike a lot of these. Uh, let's say, a Noam Chomsky type who uh, who criticizes the military and our wars, rightly so, but then we find out he was his, his first few books were financed by grants from the military establishment. So, so he, 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 there was nothing phony about Huey Long. He was the real deal. He did come up from nothing. He, uh, he, he was one of those guys who did it by hard work. I... I I'd have to check, but I, I think he didn't. I'm not even sure he graduated from college. I believe he just went and passed, passed the bar exam at an incredibly young age. Just a brilliant guy. And he was, you know, his power, his, his oratory was something to behold. And you can, you can listen to his speeches even today. And in today's society with the Internet and uh, just being able to have video access to everything, I can't imagine how many views Huey Long speeches would be getting on YouTube or how fascinating he would be to watch on C-SPAN just talking to his colleagues. But he, he was a brilliant young guy, and they said he was young when he died, so he was always young. He, was, you know, he, never, he never got to hit middle age. He was 42 when the, they assassinated him. And uh, you, you mentioned Standard Oil. I think he referred to them as the Invisible Empire. Uh, did he have any... I mean, Teddy Roosevelt obviously was, you know, before him, ran uh, before him, but... 
Teddy Roosevelt took on uh, Standard Oil. Do you think they would have been simpatico? Uh, no, I, I'm not. A, I'm not. I, I, I think he would be more sympathetic and more like uh, William Jennings Bryan. I think William Jennings Bryan was a more real populist. Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, has that reputation as a trust buster. And when Hidden History 2, hopefully, is going to be published down the road here, uh, my publisher shown an initial interest in it, I have a lot about uh, Roosevelt and uh, these other figures there. I think Roosevelt was uh, certainly not on the level of a Franklin Roosevelt as far as, uh, you know, it being uh, kind of a typical uh, wheeling and dealing politician. But uh, he loved war a little bit too much for my taste. And, and his difference with uh, in Huey Long would be. For instance, when Huey Long uh, wrote, he had the audacity, again, at a very young age to write My First Days in the White House, before he ever even ran for president. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and you know, it's a, it's a great read. I mean, it's a very short thing, but in the book, he demoted FDR back to Secretary of the Navy, just to, just to tick him <laughs> off even further. And his Secretary of War, this is very revealing, where obviously he would, uh, something, somebody like Teddy Roosevelt would never agree, because Teddy Roosevelt never met a war he didn't like. Although, I'll be honest, Teddy, at least he did walk the walk, because he actually would have gone and fought in the war himself anyway. So he actually did, you know, put his hands on it. But again, I, I, he was too much of a warmonger for me. But uh, in his book, Huey Long named General Smedley Butler, the greatest anti-war activist we've ever seen, as his secretary of war. And that shows, you know, that shows you that he, there wouldn't have been any wars in the Huey Long administration with Smedley Butler, Secretary of War. And Smedley, but- Smedley Butler, for those don't, who don't know, wrote that book, War is a Racket. Yep. Yes, we did. And, now, and also Smedley Butler issued a comment after when he, heard, when he read the book that he said, uh, have, it, have being named Huey Long Secretary of War was the greatest compliment I've ever received. Hmm. Was, was Smedley Butler somehow wrapped up in the... Uh, the supposed plot to uh, uh, launch this military coup against Roosevelt. That's a, that's an odd story, and one I've never totally understand understood because uh, Smedley Butler testified that he was approached by these right wing forces uh, who wanted to overthrow Roosevelt. And uh, what you know, again, I ask, I hope I hope I ask the questions that most historians don't ask. But uh, most historians just kind of sweep that under the rug because they don't want to talk about Smedley Butler at all. They want to stay away from him. But I would ask why, you know, these right-wing fascist forces would come to a a very far left-wing anti-war guy like General Smedley Butler. Why would they come to him to ask him? So I I find it, but I I don't doubt that they did because I I think Smedley Butler was an honest man. But I find the whole thing kind of... uh, Strange, because again, Roosevelt was playing the game they wanted, and certainly, if these, why I don't know, understand why they would have wanted to overthrow Roosevelt unless it was for some domestic reasons. Because he was certainly uh, like his cousin Teddy Roosevelt. FDR was uh, never met a war he didn't like, and uh, you know, I, I'll explore that in hidden history uh, quite a bit. Hidden history too, quite a bit. All right. Don- Don, let me uh, jump in here. We'll take a time out. Come back and continue to delve into uh, the remarkable life. And, and career of populist Louisiana Governor Senator Huey P. Long, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Keeping an eye on the new world order, this is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sack. We are back with Don Jeffries, 
The author of Survival of the Richest, How the Corruption of the Marketplace and the Disparity of Wealth Created the Greatest Conspiracy of All. Of course, previously, uh, Don penned a very explosive book uh, called Hidden History uh, with a, uh, a foreword by a very controversial uh, figure, uh, Roger Stone, a good friend of President Trump. Uh, we're talking about Huey P. Long. Uh, now, he ran on the, as a, as a Democrat. Uh, you know, it is, it's been, it's come to light by, uh, uh, people like Dinesh D'Souza, but earlier, uh, by other authors that the, the Democrats at that time particularly were really, uh, connected with the, uh, the KKK. The KKK was kind of the military wing of the Democratic Party. Uh, how did, how did Huey P. Long, being the populist that he was, uh, handle the KKK? Well, he, again, he was unlike any other Democrat, Southern Democrat, especially of his time. He, he was he strongly opposed the KKK, and the, and the KKK strongly opposed him. Now, I, I imagine again because Huey Long didn't play any identity, identity politics, and that's again what differentiates him from any so-called liberal today. Huey Long didn't really. I mean, he, his few comments that he issued about race is that any man, you know, any any uh, person, regardless of their color, should be given the same opportunity, and those kind of things that we can, all can agree to. He didn't pit black against white. That's why even today, the older uh, poor people that are still alive there, whether they're black or white, they have pictures of Huey Long in their in their houses. They, they they loved him because he, unlike any other politician of his age or our age, he uh, he ignored those kind of distinctions of uh, race and religion and, and and so or you know gender or whatever. I'm sure he would he would be ignoring the transgender stuff and things like that today. He concentrated on the big issue, which was the class distinction. It wasn't right that the, the wealthy had so much of the money, so that people had to live in you know in devastating conditions. Some people had to, and that's what he concentrated on. And it's hard for any. And I think that's why you see the kind of debate we have today, because we get lost up in this identity politics. And I, I'm convinced that very few people would vote for modern day Republicans. But they do because they're so upset at the ridiculous social justice warrior type of things that the Democrats run on, and they just get so irate at that. They just want to see them lose, even though they know they're not going to benefit from the Republican tax proposals. I mean, I've, I've told my blue-collar friends over and over again, you know, back, going back to the days of Reagan, you know, your, your, ta- your taxes aren't being cut, but they somehow, <laughs> they somehow, I don't know how they get swept up in this stuff. I said, you know, you realize you're not making enough money uh, you're not having enough taxes taken out to begin with to have, have them cut, but they just still want to believe that, and we see that in, in, in the new tax proposal where it's really the working class, the poor and working class are are not going to benefit at all. But Huey Long, you know, he lets you know who is going to benefit, and, and uh, certainly almost everybody would have been happy under his proposal. I mean, this guy, you know, again, he's talking about race relations. He abolished the poll tax in Louisiana. I think he was the first to, uh, governor to do that, and he. Uh, in addition to all the other great stuff he did, he instituted policies that that they've calculated would have saved the uh, in, in today's dollars, save the average family over five thousand dollars annually. These are significant savings, and you can look at any of these, uh, um, you know, New Deal, Great Society type of programs, and you, no one can sit there and say, "Well, I saved five thousand dollars because of some <laughs> some uh, you know anti-poverty program LBJ came up with." Not going to happen, but. Huey Long, he did that. He, he he came up with a debt moratorium, which is the closest thing we've had to a year of jubilee, which is what I think we really need is a year of jubilee. Yes, yes. 
And he came up, the closest thing is debt moratorium, basically stopped all foreclosures in his state. 80% of the people under his proposal, 80% of the people stopped paying any personal property tax at all. Because, again, he recognized who was capable of paying it and who wasn't. Because his the problem then, as now, that we never discuss, is the problem is most people are not being paid enough. It's not... It, that's the question where fairness comes in, because people aren't paying, and that's why survival of the richest really looks at all that. Why, why does you know why do certain occupations pay what they do, as opposed to other occupations? And we kind of examine that. Is you know is really the the vice president in charge of looking out the window? Is he really worth thousands of times uh, you know more money than the, the janitor who's cleaning the building for him? And if, if one of the, if both of them were gone for a month, whose presence would you notice? <laughs> you know, I don't think anybody would know the vice president was gone, but you'd certainly know the janitor was gone. So, I think we just looked at it and have you know we, everything, no matter what kind of work you do. I think it has some value, and you should be paid at least enough. Uh, one of the things Bernie Sanders said that I agree with is that any full time worker, it's uh, disgraceful for any full time worker to be living in poverty, and that, that's true. But if you look at half the people making $27,000 or less, <laughs> you're looking at a whole lot of people that are uh, living lives that are way below what they should be living in a, in a nation as, as wealthy as ours. One of the things I think that uh, the current president could, could have learned from or could learn from Huey P. Long is the way that once, once he... Um, became governor, he consolidated his power. I mean, he, uh, and this is one of the things that Trump has been criticized for by his supporters. You know, the, everyone talks about how he's being opposed by the, the, the permanent bureaucracy and he's the, the deep state. But Huey P. Long went in there and, and uh, he cleared house in, in an awful hurry, didn't he? I mean, he just started firing cab- cabinet people and, and hundreds and right. hundreds of people. Yeah, and, and there, there, there are some similarities in their rhetoric. I mean, Trump's, I mean, Trump's certainly no share of the wealth guy, but if you look at some of Huey Long's streets, the way he made up, you know, names for uh, FDR and his people, he, 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 he would constantly troll them and, and prod them the way Trump does. But Trump's rhetoric is, but, but then Huey Long backed it up with, with, with real, like I said, you know, he saved the average family $5,000. He, he built the entire state up while Trump talked about the infrastructure. He's done absolutely nothing. Huey Long did it. He walked the walk. Trump talks a good talk, and, and again, it's, these are about other things, but Trump did talk about infrastructure and ending the wars and so forth, but the reality is different than that. And, and Huey Long, as you can see, his, his, uh, his fantasy uh, administration, presidential administration, included Smedley Butler, Secretary of War. I don't see anybody outside the swamp in Donald Trump's administration at all. He just keeps naming one insider after another, and then he kind of goes back to his Twitter, and he's like, I call him the, the, the tweeter-in-chief, because that's really the only thing he appears to do. He just kind of talks as if he's an outsider, like he can't do anything. We, you know, there's the swamp doing it again. Well, why do you keep naming people that are in the swamp to every position around you? If you want to drain it, you have to start by getting rid of these people and putting some real outsiders in power. But he hasn't done that. Huey Long did that, and, and plus Huey Long obviously was, was totally sincere his entire career showed that he was uh, sincere in what he believed in, and he was devoted to that share of the wealth cause. Where I don't, I don't think Donald Trump has showed that he's uh, very sincere about anything. Huey P. Long was certainly, uh, well, authoritarian. I, I think is an, an appropriate term. Uh, he he would show up unexpectedly, unexpectedly uh, at on you know uh, congressional uh, or or state senate hearings and and 
you know, corral political opponents and grab people by the collar and sort of bully them into voting certain ways. Uh, and also, I read where every state employee had to pay a portion of their salary directly into his sort of political war chest. Well, that, you're talking about the deduct box. That's, that's the, and, and again, I, you know, with, with anything, Richard, that, that's, that's written or said about Huey Long, I take it with a grain of salt because this was the greatest enemy that the establishment, the swamp, had in the 20th century. This, this was a guy who threatened every, their very existence. So anything written about him I, like that, and, and if he was, if he had this corruption at all, if he had a so-called deduct box, it was, you know, really small change compared to the corruption that we see in all these guys. I mean, Huey Long's Huey Long, so body count, you know, didn't exist. Unlike, you know, in history, I talk about all these politicians have a body count behind them as they, as they rise to power. Uh, Huey Long himself was killed, you know, <laughs> part of FDR's body count. After basically predicting, you can go back and read the congressional record now, and you can still see all the speeches Huey Long delivered up until a month before he was assassinated, where he predicted he was going to be assassinated and alleged that there were high, highly powerful people in Washington, D.C. that were plotting his assassination and that he gets assassinated. So I, I think that, that what happened to Huey Long kind of belies any fact that he was corrupt because the, the people that, that uh, end up getting assassinated almost invariably are threats, whether the Kennedys or, or whoever, threats to the, uh, to the establishment where... Uh, you know, the Henry Kissinger types are still alive and doing well and living into the 90s. Mm -hmm. uh, before the assassination, there was um, an attempt to impeach uh, Huey P. Long, not too far into his his uh, his term. I think it was the first year. Uh, yep. Tell me about that. Yeah, and and you, I mean, he has a great speech where he said they tried, you know, they tried to impeach me in 1930, or then the 1930, whatever. He he goes over it in his typical comedic style, and uh, we see that it's not surprising. I think this is probably the less violent method that his opponents choose to try to uh, to try to limit to take him away from power, and uh, we we've, we've seen that throughout history. Uh, you know, Judge Jim Garrison, you know, certainly was was uh, they did the same thing to him. When he was trying to, uh, you know, investigate the JFK assassination, and even today with a guy like Trump, who, like I said, I, I have tons of problems with, but basically his opponents are just kind of stamping their feet up and down and just saying, you know, we have to just go away, or we have to. I mean, they're they're trying to cook up. They have no possible grounds to impeach him because he really hasn't done much of anything. So I don't know, but I mean, I think they want to impeach him because on the basis of that uh, tape where he made his ridiculous locker room. Uh, comment uh, that, you know, tons of, uh, you know, obnoxious males make every day, you know, to one another, and I, I, that just doesn't rise to an impeachable offense, but this is, you know, the problem when, when someone, even even Trump, as ridiculous as he is, I think he's a loose cannon, and he still scares uh, some people in the establishment that he might do something good, so in Huey Long's case, they knew he was the real deal, and what he was talking about was revolutionary and would have uh, really <laughs> affected every powerful person in the country, so... Uh, sure, they chose impeachment at first, and that didn't work. And eventually, uh, you know, as, as he predicted, he was assassinated. The the impeachment. I mean, how much did that have to do with, you know, making enemies with Standard Oil, and he, and he wanted to uh, he wanted to to tax Standard Oil. Standard Oil, it seems, from a lot of indications, they seem to own the media, the New Orleans Times, Picayune, uh, the editorial staff, a lot of advertising dollars from Standard Oil. Was was it about the tax on oil? 
Well, I, I think that had a lot to do with it, and certainly uh, at the time, one of the, the probably the most powerful journalists in Louisiana was Hotting Carter, who uh, was the father of Hotting Carter uh, III, who uh, was Jimmy Carter's press secretary. And if you watch Ken Burns' documentary on uh, Huey Long, which is uh, it's one-sided, it's not, it's not, it's certainly not, uh, it's biased against Huey Long, but it's the least biased thing out there because it's basically just people talking. But one of the people that talks quite a bit is Hotting Carter's widow, and she freely admits, uh, you know, we, we, were, we talked every Saturday night about who was going to assassinate him, when they were going to do it, and, and uh, we were happy when he was assassinated. She still admitted that. But the, the press at the time gave him, it, it, it was very similar to, you know, what we see with Trump. The press was so against Huey Long, and the state was divided much as America is divided now into people that hate Trump and the people that still like him. And uh, that's the way Louisiana was. Louisiana, I think, it was probably a little less divided because I think the people he had more. He had obviously had more support uh, than Trump does now. But the the press and the and the, uh, the the Standard Oil type controlled uh, organizations were totally against Huey Long. And so I think I think it's no when when people talk about anything with Huey Long, the D-Duck box and his bullying people and all this stuff, I just take it all with a grain of salt because I understand how despised he was by powerful forces. So it was in their interest. They're, they're not going to ever depict him as this uh, nice, humble guy who just was concerned with helping the poor. All right, uh, Don, stay put. We'll uh, take a quick time out, come back and continue to delve into the Kingfish, Huey P. Long, the great populist. I'm back with more right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Don Jeffries is with us, author of uh, Hidden History, of course. We're uh, wild with anticipation over the, uh, the future release of Hidden History 2. In the meantime, we have Survival of the Richest, how the corruption of the marketplace and the disparity of wealth created the greatest conspiracy of all with a forward by, well, look at that, yours truly, Richard Serrett. Um, we're talking about Huey P. Long and um, how he survived uh, impeachment. Um, I don't know, again, these, may, these reports from, the, from his critics, how you'll react, but um, it sounds like he had a bit of a, a vindictive streak after he survived uh, that impeachment. He reportedly set about to fire even uh, relatives from, uh, from, from state jobs of, uh, of those who opposed him and, and uh, really set about to, to, to clean house. Was he, did he have a bit of a, a, a vengeful streak in him, Don? Well, again, he may have, but again, anything about his personality, it's hard to tell because most, most, you know, his history is written by the victors. As I, I stress that constantly in Hidden History too. When we look at history, you have to understand who, who won, whatever it was, <laughs> whatever war, whatever political struggle. And in this case, Huey Long definitely lost. So, and he, he's he's not going to be represented as 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 any kind of a uh, an admirable figure. That's just not the way it goes. Whereas uh, the, the figures that the the establishment historians want to promote, whether it's the Roosevelts or uh, Woodrow Wilson, Abraham Lincoln, whatever. Even today, we see F, a, a, a despicable guy in our lifetimes, most of our lifetimes, Lyndon Johnson, who was you know. There's not a you can't find a good personal anecdote about him anywhere from the people that work with him. <laughs> But recently, Carl, recently Rob Reiner makes a film where he tries, again, they're trying to resurrect LBJ as like a better figure than JFK, who, again, JFK, you can't find a personal anecdote about him from people that knew him and the way he treated people that isn't positive. I mean, he was a nice guy to everyone. 
but it doesn't matter. LBJ was it was a typical politician of his time who was willing to do anything and step on anybody to get his to get power. And uh, JFK was fighting for peace and uh, going against every powerful force in the country at that time, almost like Huey Long in a different way. But so with Huey Long. It's it's really hard to tell where first thought, but I, I certainly wouldn't you know I I wouldn't have blamed him even if he wanted to get rid of all the uh, his opponents and I think that's the the problem was is uh, what Trump isn't doing you know Huey Long was trying to drain the swamp of his day and in his case Louisiana was a literal swamp <laughs> he had to drain and then and then uh, pave he basically paved the state and, and and built up the infrastructure there but. He had tons of political opponents, so uh, you know he 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 had very colorful language, and he certainly exaggerated things. So, I mean, one of his great speeches, uh, he he began with saying, you know, I I have a half a mind to lead the mob and hang the the other damn ninety some how many senators towards the time, hang the rest of you. I mean, I think certainly, I, I don't think that was literal, but it was his colorful rhetoric, and it's what it's what made him so attractive. To people, especially people that were struggling, because they looked at you know, the, in the in the days of the Great Depression, he was a, a fighter and a champion for him. I believe the share of the wealth societies had ten or twelve million uh, members nationwide, and they were growing. So this this is the you know I think we have to keep in mind anything written about Huey Long, whether it's that or you know Robert Penn Warren's uh, All the King's Men, which you know not surprisingly won a Pulitzer Prize. I mean these kind of awards are ten, generally given out to uh, establishment approved. Themes and the theme of that obviously is that what you're talking about is Huey Long was this demagogue who really didn't care about people and was power hungry and a bully and and uh, had this deduct box where he was just you know corrupt at the basis level and I just I think his record uh, and, and even if he was even if he was personally corrupt there's no denying what he did to impact the people's lives unlike a, a totally personally corrupt guy like Lyndon Johnson who did nothing but lose the war on poverty and create more poverty with with all his uh, his bottomless uh, bureaucratic programs that uh, all, all they did was just create more government workers. All right, we, um, we're coming up on another break here. Um, when we come back, Don, I want to get into uh, very quickly why uh, he decided to run for the Senate after only... I don't even think he fully completed his his uh, term as governor then jumped into the uh, the senate and of course ultimately his uh, untimely demise that's all coming up with don jeffries author of survival of the richest how the corruption of the marketplace and the disparity of wealth created the greatest conspiracy of all you're listening to the conspiracy show my name is richard Serra. don't go away. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarin. We're back with Don Jeffries talking about Huey P. Long. Why did he he, he leave uh, the office as governor and, and jump into the Senate race so quickly? You know, that's, that's a curious question. I think maybe at the time he didn't realize... Uh, I, I believe it was an effort on his part to go national, more of a national figure, uh, becoming a senator, instead of just more concentrating on his, because he had he'd pretty much done most of what he had to accomplish in Louisiana. I said, I quit the statistics I quoted earlier. He had, you know, repaved the state, built up the infrastructure, and done all these great things that helped uh, everyone, except, again, the very wealthy. I think he maybe looked at it as, a, as a, a more logical springboard for a presidential run, but as we know, there's really Barack Obama was... Uh, the first sitting senator since uh, Kennedy that was elected to the presidency. So usually going to the Senate isn't isn't a ticket to the White House. 
but uh, in in uh, Long's case, there may not have been that much history to reflect upon, and he uh, he probably thought, I believe, he, he, the only reason, rational reason I can think of is because he thought it would make him more of a national figure, and because uh, he, he he definitely wanted to go to the White House. Uh, initially, as you say, he supported the New Deal, uh, but he had a falling out with with FDR. What happened? Well, he, well, as he said early on, he. Uh, he started, and much as many of us looked at who Trump put in his administration, he looked at and he said, when you see people like uh, Bernard Baruch and James Warburg, whose who's, uh, brother uh, Paul Warburg had been, you know, president and helped plan the ridiculous Federal Reserve System, um, he knew, he, you know, he basically said, you know, what are all these bankers doing there? And uh, FDR just basically wanted to, sh- to shut him up and to get him to go away. But uh, he was good. FDR had lots of critics on the left, especially initially. But uh, Long was probably the loudest, and uh, he—I I don't know that he ever necessarily liked Roosevelt because Long, like most genuine, uh, genuine uh, leftists at the time, uh, was uh, strongly opposed to World War One. Whereas uh, FDR, safely ensconced, uh, you know, his, his position as Assistant Secretary of the Navy, uh, was uh, strongly uh, in favor of it, as was uh, Teddy Roosevelt. So I think he. He already was kind of suspicious of him because of that kind of thing, and uh, but when he saw, you know, all these bankers uh, surrounding him and these insiders, much as we see today with Trump, he, he he realized what was going on, and then Roosevelt was slow to act, and he certainly wasn't uh, doing the kind of things Huey Long wanted because Huey Long again wanted you know, you've got to do something about the concentration of wealth, you got to get the money down to these people, you've got one quarter of the people, uh, you know, out of work, they're waiting in bread lines and so forth, soup lines. Uh, he didn't see uh, Roosevelt doing that, and uh, the, the more uh, he protested against him, I think the Roosevelt, Roosevelt ended up considering him one of the two most dangerous men in the country, along with Douglas MacArthur. That was a well-known quote of his, and uh, a lot of us think Roosevelt himself, you know, it may very well have been the architect behind the assassination of Long, because he's that's who he directly threatened. Uh, Long, Long was going to run for president in 1936, probably as an independent, and at the very least he would have taken enough votes away from Roosevelt to ensure that the Republican would win. No fan of the uh, the Federal Reserve either, uh, not surprisingly. Did he did he make uh, a lot of speeches in opposition of the Federal Reserve on the House of the Senate floor? I don't know how many speeches he made, but he was one of the earliest critics. He was one of the first ones to realize that uh, it was a disastrous act. And I, again, I think because the Federal Reserve Act was passed in 19... 19- 13, so, you know, Huey Long first came to prominence less than 20 years later, so again, there probably wasn't that much history to draw upon, but he definitely was on the record as, as being opposed to it, and again, it was it went with all of his, and he, Huey Long had a distrust of bankers, so naturally he, just as he saw who was in the Roosevelt administration, he saw all the people lining up behind the Federal Reserve Act, and he realized, you know, this is, you know if these people are supporting it, it can't be good, but Huey Long, in my mind, he was on the right side of virtually everything. I mean, from what I've studied of him, uh, as as far as, you know, what I would consider, uh, what I would support, and that's that's all we can look at, I guess, is, you know, how would we act if we were in that position? What would we support? And Huey Long seemed to be, you know, come down on what I consider the right and fair side on just about every issue. President Trump is really, you know, love him or hate him, he has really mastered uh, the use of social media, uh, both in his campaign and now as president, sort of going over the head of uh, of the, uh, the the politicians directly to the uh, to the voters. 
with Huey P. Long, he was really a pioneer in mastering the use of radio. And his he went on these tours with his uh, nationwide tours with these radio addresses. They were drawing huge numbers, something like twenty five million radio listeners. Talk to me about yeah. about his 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 use of uh, radio. Oh yeah, I, be, I believe he began every broadcast. With, Ladies and gentlemen, this is Huey P. Long tonight uh, speaking to you. Uh, in a further effort to get rid of all the grafters and corruption or something like that, but words to that effect. But, uh, yeah, he was, and again, you can only imagine what kind of an audience he would have today because he was so media set, unlike Trump, who Trump, you know, kind of appears awkward and he's certainly not articulate. Huey Long was incredibly articulate, was very funny, and, and, and like Trump, could come up with, color, you know, when he came, he would just castigate the Democrats, although he was a Democrat, and a nominal Democrat. He, t- he called them Tweedledum and Tweedledee and High Papa Loam and Low Papa Hyam. And he talked about how there wasn't a dime's worth of difference uh, between them. And he was, he was really the first one to point that out, too. As far as I know, I, I never uh, have heard of any politician before him making those kind of speeches where he just contrasted both his own party and, and the other party and just basically said, they're identical on all the most important issues, and uh, no one even does that today. I mean, Trump kind of did when he was running, but again, he's a lot less articulate, and he can come up with a funny phrase here or there, but it's not not to the level of I, I don't think they're memorable phrases, unlike Huey Long's. I mean, people people don't forget high pop alone and low pop high and uh, he was receiving, I think, something like 60,000 letters a week in support, more than the president. So you can start to see how Roosevelt would perceive Huey P. Long as a real threat. Oh, yeah, I think he was personally jealous of him, too, because Huey Long was much more popular than Roosevelt. He received more fan mail than any senator had in history and, and, and ever has in history. And all and more fan mail than all the other senators come on. And people back in those days when our government was more open still, when people could walk off the street and just go, if there were room, they could go sit in the, in the rafters there and watch the Senate uh, sessions. People would do that. And they were coming for one purpose, and that's all. You know, he was a rock star. He was like the Beatles, you know, being, being in Congress. And uh, I have no doubt that he would, in, in 1936, if he had run for president, I think he would have been elected. Because especially if they had had any kind of... Uh, Debates, which they might not have had, but his his rhetoric would have been so much better than because Roosevelt had nothing to run upon. He had done nothing to cure the ills of the country. They were still mired in the Great Depression, and then the uh, I guess it was Wendell Wilkie in 1936, whatever it was, was just a, you know a typical banker stooge who was just a lukewarm version of Roosevelt, and, and you know high Papa Long to low Papa Hyam. He didn't disagree on any significant issue. So Huey Long would have been such a contrast there, and certainly every poor person would have voted for him. And I, think they recognize that, and I, I believe that's why he was assassinated. Well, he, he did announce he was running for president in 1935, and it was only a month later uh, that he was assassinated uh, in the state capitol. Who was his, uh, his gu- who was this gunman, his um, assassin, Carl Weiss? Well, he, he was ale- he, the alleged gunman, Carl Weiss, was the son, a young doctor, of one of uh, Long's many countless uh, political opponents, New Orleans, but his family still, his son is still alive, I believe, and he, he still fights for Weiss's, I don't believe for a second Weiss did it, we know that it, uh, in 2005, a former uh, Louisiana police superintendent, Francis Grevenberg, signed a sworn affidavit that said at the time that Carl Weiss was framed for the murder by planting a gun at the scene. And they know that. They never, they never produced a bullet that killed Long. Like in so many of these cases, there was no autopsy performed, no x-rays. Uh, from what we know about 
uh, the operation that was there. They talked about that it was a, it was like a circus in there, and uh, you know some of his opponents were in there that were involved that had no reason to see him live. And later on, they said you know his injuries were nothing. He shouldn't have died from it. So he basically died from awful medical treatment. And you have to keep in mind that you know half the state loathed him. And as in the case of Hotting Carter's uh, widow and I.F. Stone, the leftist journalist who also believed, uh, also uh, hated the Warren Commission critics and constantly said Oswald did it. But this leftist darling, he, he was in on Ken Burns' documentary, too, and he, he said, you know, I, I hate to say it, but he, I was happy when he was killed. So they hate, the left hated Huey Long as much or more than the right did. I, I put in the book, I put the quotes from the National, uh, the, the uh, American Communist Party and the American Socialist Party. They both loathed Huey Long. They didn't, when he died, they celebrated, and that makes no sense if he, you know, considering they call him a communist or a socialist himself, and, and theoretically, that should be especially what socialism is about, but that clearly shows the distinction between uh, populism and socialism or communism. Socialism or communism produces the, the kind of uh, stuff, obviously, we saw in the Soviet Union and countries like that, and to a lesser degree, what we saw, you know, in programs like LBJ's Great Society or things that Obama might want to have done, whereas Huey Long's populism produced real tangible results, and I think that's why he was assassinated, and those other figures uh, had nothing to worry about from assassins. Getting back to, to Weiss, I mean, wasn't this, um, wasn't this, perform- this assassination done at close range? Didn't Weiss... Like shoot him like from four feet away or something, and then the, then uh, Long's bodyguards returned fire and, and killed Weiss. But what what other possible alter, uh, uh, ex- explanation could there be if it wasn't Weiss firing that gun? Well, again, we we, we have to you know we have to obviously trust uh, Long's bodyguards because Weiss was shot like seventy times or something ridiculous. I mean, they just blew him away. They made certain he he wasn't alive to tell any tales. And uh, again, he was—he he could have had insiders on it. I think most people believe, and there are also there are theories out there that say Long's bodyguards accidentally shot him. And I—I uh, I would have to think that it was probably an insider or two in his butt, which certainly could have been possible, uh, that shot him. And then he had how they had Weiss lured to the scene. I, I'm not sure. You know, I, obviously, I, I don't know how the, the intricacies of the conspiracy, but we do know, except we had that police superintendent that later, before he died, admitted that, yeah, we planted a gun at the scene. So what are you planning a gun at the scene for if the guy did it? So, I mean, that, that tells you right there that, I mean, that's an insider. He has nothing to gain from that. He didn't, you know, he didn't get a big book contract or he had no financial incentive to say that. He was going against the establishment. So we know that uh, that... The official case is dubious at best there, and, 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 and when you take into consideration the person who was assassinated and how controversially was, I mean, to me, that alone it, it proves that it was no lone nut, because we know that the, who, who, who had the most to gain from, uh, from Huey Long's death, and at that time, that would have been really the entire establishment of his state and, and the country, and certainly uh, FDR and the... Uh, the democratic establishment, especially of, of the day. Uh, did did Huey Long have have uh, children, and and did they become active in political life? He did. I mean, I, he had children. Of course, one of his sons, uh, Russell Long, was a longtime senator. But uh, and you know, he's the one that supposedly uh, you know was was the one who alerted Jim Garrison, who's played by Walter Matthau and Oliver Stone's JFK. Uh, you know, who first got uh, Jim Garrison interested in the JFK case. But he was a longtime senator, but. 
He wasn't a share of the wealth guy, and and, and not not until I, I've become fortunate to to strike up a, a friendship uh, with his great granddaughter, who is who runs the Huey Long website, and uh, is you know, a lot of the statistics I got came from that website, and she's very devoted to her um, to her uh, great grandfather's legacy, and as far as I know, she's the only one in the family who's doing that, and. Uh, I sent her the book and everything, and she seemed to appreciate it. And I've, I've told her about all the interviews I've done about Huey Long. As far as I know, I, I'm the only one out there that's, that's not buying the official story of Huey Long himself, let alone his assassination, which is that he was a demagogue, he was, had this deduct box, he was corrupt. Because I look at his, his career, and I say, this guy was revolutionary. You know? It's no wonder they assassinated him. He said they were going to, and I just I don't buy their, their negative stories about him because I, I think he was a great man. And... Um, she, I think she appreciates that. But as far as I know, she's the only person in his family that, that really has followed his legacy. Don, final question. Uh, we've got less than a minute here. Is it possible for another Huey P. Long type, another populist in his mold, to come up through the ranks and, and become president? Well, you would hope so. I think the, the message would be very receptive. And I think we saw, as I put, as I remarked in the Survival of the Richest, we saw elements of that in both Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. And I think that's why they both were so popular. They were, they were uh, striking you know, messages, uh, parts of, of the populist message, different parts. But when they talked about trade and they talked about putting America first, building the infrastructure and stuff, that's stuff that strikes home with people that are struggling. Of you know not uh, giving you know not having jobs here and all that kind of stuff that strikes you know you're not going to get anywhere with average people by talking about we live in a global world and we have to go intervene in whatever country populism says hey look we have problems here let's let's point out the obvious elephants in the room so I think certainly a, a populist candidate could now whether but you can only imagine how much the media would attack. <laughs> a real candidate like Huey uh, Long. Absolutely. Don, thank you so much for this again. Survival of the Richest available at Amazon? Yes, oh yes, Amazon. Barnes, it should be all Barnes & Noble stores. It's, uh, you Google it, you can find it just about anywhere. Survival of the Richest. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Richard. All right. Rosemary Ellen Guiley next. We'll talk angels right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.